Exactly. <laughs> so good to have you back, Wayne. Kesh, thank you. I learned much from you. Um, uh, you can call me Sunshine this morning if you like. And I'm glad to bring some sunshine into your life. 10.15 service at Cornubia, my favorite crowd. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause. Very great to be here. From my, uh, from my family to yours, a very, very happy uh, new year. Uh, 2020 is uh, two Sundays in already. Um, but uh, and my family stretches from uh, London to here. And so wherever your family is and wherever, uh, whatever circumstance you find, uh, my heart to yours, my family's heart to yours. May 2020 be a beautiful year of community together where we discover what God is going to do amongst us, through us, and with us. Who cannot be excited about what uh, God has done at this campus of Cornubia, uh, <coughs> along with all the churches around us for that matter? But uh, Happy New Year. I bumped into many people as 2019 came to an end. Uh, it was an interesting uh, end of the year for me. Uh, I, I drove, I used to drive a, a Ford Cougar 2014 model. Fiery kind of a vehicle, right? <laughs> so I'm looking forward to 2020. Christmas Eve, that Ford Cougar's engine doesn't explode, but it just stops going, right? So I figured that's a great start. But I bumped into many people. <coughs> By the way, I think Ford is going to fix it completely, so you don't have to feel sorry for me. I'm going to get a new engine for an old car. It's going to be very good. God turns things from around, eh? Tragedy to triumph. But I bumped into many people in 2020, by the way, 2019. They were saying, 2020 cannot be worse than 2019. Can't be less painful. Uh, it can't be more painful. It can't be uh, more difficult. I can't, it can't be worse. And it wasn't a statement they were making. It was like a question. Surely, 2020 can't be worse than 2020 to 2019. It seems that many of us are coming into 2020 with less energy, less money, less hope, less time, and by all reports, less power. Thanks, ESCOM. Less, lots of things. And, <coughs> and we feel small, and 2020 feels big. And I don't know if that's what you're feeling, but certainly many. I attended a service that Skip Collins, one of our pastors, led uh, he runs the La Lucia baby home. One of their little children, a little girl, Andiswe, uh, passed away having uh, not won the battle against all kinds of challenges that she faced. Tiny little child. And uh, Skip uh, read a passage which was so real for him and so real for us in the room as we just honored this little life, uh, a child who had no parents but them. And uh, he reminded us of a passage the prophet writes to a people who are broken. <clears throat> this is what Isaiah says. Energize the limp hands. Strengthen the rubbery knees. Tell fearful souls, courage, take heart. God is here. God is right here. He's on his way to put things right and redress all wrongs. He's on his way. He'll save you. These were beautiful words, and in a sense, it's what we do here Sunday by Sunday. Uh, we seek to energize limp hands, those who come with challenges bigger than they are, to strengthen rubbery knees, those who feel that they don't have the legs for what is required of them. We're here to inspire courage 
one to the other. We hear in the songs we sing, in the prayers we pray, in the communion and meal we share together, we're here to point people to God who is right here. Uh, he's on his way and he will save and he will heal and he will restore. It's what we do. So over the next three weeks, uh, we ask, what do we do when we do feel small <coughs> and the year ahead does feel big, too big? And the series we're about is Dream Small. Uh, there's a scripture that inspired the beginning of Grace Family Church. Uh, the prophet Zechariah says to a people who are in exile, they've forgotten who they are, they've forgotten why they are, they've been robbed of their, of, of their uh, land and of, of, of the place where they would live and grow. Uh, uh, people who felt too small for the challenge that was ahead of them. Um, and uh, uh, Zechariah uh, had said to the people that Zerubbabel would build a temple which would be the center of, 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 of who, their rediscovery of their God, of who they were and their purpose in life, that Zerubbabel would build a temple and from that temple would come a shout grace, grace to it. And that's how Grace Family Church got its name from that scripture, from the temple which would be completed by the, the, the one who led the nation, uh, uh, Zerubbabel, uh, the shout of grace and the mountain, the challenge, the thing that was too big that was before them would become a plain um, uh, and, and, and it would be done by the very shout of grace. And then from verse 9 of Zechariah 4, Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of the temple and he will complete it. So the temple will be complete. It will be true of this place of worship also. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me, the prophet Zechariah. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line uh, in Zerubbabel's hand. There are three thoughts out of that scripture. <clears throat> First, don't despise small beginnings. Because it seems that God will take small things, small acts, small acts of faith, and turn them into big triumph. So don't despise small beginnings. The second encouragement is begin the work, regardless of how you feel, regardless of how small you feel or how, how, how fearful you feel, begin the work. The Lord rejoices, it seems, in the beginning of the work, not its completion. So would you just begin? It's a call to act. And then see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The plumb line would show us the standard and then reach towards that. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about not despising small beginnings, uh, the courage to begin the work, uh, even if we don't know how it will finish, and the challenge to, to hold a plumb line before us to keep us on track. Uh, that way, in a sense... We will get through 2020, uh, for God is with us, and we will do so well. So today we want to talk about dream small. Don't despise small beginnings. Jesus tells a parable about a shrewd manager who kind of gets by, um, and it's a hard one to understand, but there, 
there's a line in the middle of that parable which has always struck me and guided me. It is this line. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. You build muscles doing small things well, and then you have the muscles to do the big things that are required of you. Uh, do not despise, says the prophet Zechariah to the, to the people, uh, the small beginnings. In another parable, the parable of the talents, uh, Jesus says, if you are faithful with small things, you will be entrusted with big things. So this call to simply be faithful and refuse to despise the little things that we can do. <clears throat> Mother Teresa put it like this, be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. If you're feeling the year is too big and you're too small, be faithful in little things that you can do and see what God does in strengthening you and ensuring that you get through the year. This idea of small dream, dream small, as a series title was inspired by a Global Leadership Summit speaker last year in October, Liz Bohannon. And she writes a book, Beginner's Pluck. Now, pluck uh, means spirited and determined courage. You may well be aware of the term beginner's luck, which is simply a phenomenon that says sometimes a beginner who doesn't know much about the thing does better than someone vastly experienced simply because they're a beginner. They, they, they're more on guard, they're, they're willing to learn, uh, they're more hungry, but the beginner's luck, and we have a term beginner's luck because beginners often get it right, get it better. Um, otherwise, if it was so occasional, we wouldn't even have the term, but often beginners. Now, beginner's pluck is more than beginner's luck. It's a spirited and determined courage to do the small things well, to build a life of purpose and a life of impact by refusing to despise humble beginners, beginnings. Uh, Liz Bohannon introduces some challenging thoughts which I believe will help us be faithful with these small things. Uh, and so uh, faithful in the small things, we will be entrusted with much. I believe these three thoughts will help us refuse to despise small beginnings. Begin the work, refuse to be paralyzed. We begin the work we were created for and become co-creators with God to bring about a better world and a better community around us, to build a life of purpose and a life of impact. So these three thoughts I share with you. The first is own your average. Own your average. As a young boy, I was an above average, exceptional, triple jumper. Now, I was told that in the first service, I should explain what triple jump is. It's not long jump. It's an Olympic sport. Um, it is a hop, step, and a jump. So, in other words, hop, step, jump. But the, the Olympic crowd will get from this side of the stage to that side, I would suggest. But I was exceptional as a young boy. My skill was honed uh, on the frostbitten grass of Bloemfontein, uh, barefoot 
uh, where we used to use slops. So you put a slop here, a slop in the middle, a slop there, and then you jump from the one side and then you lengthen this slop. Then you've all got to come from this side and you hop, skip, and jump and, and you lengthen the slop. And eventually everyone gets knocked out because they didn't make it. And so playing the game fly got me so profoundly good at triple jump. So when I was at school, I beat everybody. They were pathetic, actually, in a, in a place called Queensborough down the road here, not too far. So I could hop, skip, and jump like you couldn't imagine. Above average, exceptional, I strutted my stuff. Until I came to an inter-school event here at Beechwood, uh, what was Beechwood, and a clue should have happened that with the passing of time, I ceased to grow any taller than I am, and there were people this long around me, right? But still, I was above average in my view. I was exceptional. And I took off on my first jump, hit the board, took a hop, took a step, took a jump, and then I remember praying in that moment, flying through the air, that I would actually make the sand pit. The grass wasn't running out underneath me. I was watching the grass and it was not finishing. And I slid into the sand pit by about a foot. The measurers who would measure the jump didn't move. They did not feel it necessary to measure my effort. It dawned on me. I was average. <laughs> I was average. When I started the ministry, I was young like Kesh, and I, I like Kesh, knew everything about everything. Not so okay. <laughs> little joke. Christina agrees that Kesh knows everything. But my father said to me, my boy, I think it was at one moment when I I thought I knew everything about everything. He said, you are not God's gift to the ministry. The ministry is God's gift to you. In a way, my father said, don't think you more highly of yourself than you are. And so my sense is if we own our average. Friends, you and I are not called to win or lose, but to figure out what we have to offer, to figure out the gift we have to give, the words we have to speak, the art we have to produce, the song we have to sing, the impact we're going to have on the world, and we will make that impact not because we are exceptional or above average, but rather that we have owned our average, and God uses ordinary people like you and me to do His work. And then, having owned our average, we take a long run, a massive hop, a step, and a jump at life and at this year. Every one of us has a sacred part to play. And what the world doesn't need are more people who are desperately trying to convince others that they are above average, that they are special, because they think that that will earn them the spotlight or the right to occupy bigger space in the world. That will give them a sense of worthiness and purpose. The world doesn't need that. The world also doesn't need more people who refuse to take a run and a jump at life because they are inherently or they think that they are below average. And so they're terrified of what others might think of them should they run and jump at life. 
The world doesn't need that. Own your average. The truth of the matter is, uh, like me, most of us here fit on that marvelous bell curve. I don't know if you know it, but of the 200 or 300 people gathered here today, if above average people were sitting in this area, do you feel above average, guys? You feel it? Yay! But there would only be 12 of you there, statistically. So the others will have to move this way. And those of below average, there would only be 12, but most of us fit in the average, right? And you know when you own your average, all the energy you're trying to work out uh, where you fit in, you can use that energy to do better things than trying to work it out. Owning your average is a remarkably freeing and powerful acknowledgement. Owning your average is not a call to complacency, poor me, uh, I'm not above average. Owning your average is freeing yourself from all the energy you spend trying to figure out how you measure up and instead channeling all that energy into becoming an interested, curious dreamer and doer who believes that extraordinary things are done with average human beings like you and me. If we wait for the 12 exceptional, uh, above average, intellectually, uh, skill-wise, capacity, uh, get to do the job done, nothing will get done. There was a study done <clears throat> where a test was given to hundreds of fifth graders. And in the group, in the one group, uh, after the test was done, the children were praised for being really smart. Wow, what a great score. You must be really smart. You must be really gifted. You are really special. Right? In the other group, group two, the children were praised for growth and for work ethic and for progress. Wow, they were told, that is a great score. You must have worked really hard at solving those problems that others may well have been frustrated and given up. Well done. I bet you will do even better next time. You know what the result was? Those in group one, those who were praised for being inherently talented and intelligent, they shied away from choosing a more difficult job next time in the future. You see, once the belief that they were special got planted, the risk of accepting a more difficult job and therefore failure became too great for them. Those in group two, those who were praised for their progress, for their hard work, for their grit, for their curiosity, well, they wanted a more challenging assignment in the future. They wanted something harder. <clears throat> Not only did the kids in the first group want an easier task, their performance diminished and declined, while the kids in the second group uh, markedly improved. Being extraordinary, being talented or gifted isn't a prerequisite for living an extraordinary life and being part of a story that is far bigger than you, connected to the whole, joining God as we speak here at at uh, Grace Family Church, joining God in his mission to heal the world. 
being exceptional and extraordinary and above average is not the prerequisite. Do not despise these small beginnings. Uh, as a nation starts to rebuild itself, the prophet uh, speaks God's word and says, don't despise the small beginnings. Don't despise you. Own your average. Proudly own your average. And then you will start to understand that every human being on planet earth is a unique combination and sequence of the divine and carries an equal value. Uh, you are a one of a kind, never going to be seen again brand of magic. And we are each unique but we are not unique for being unique. On your average, do not despise these humble beginnings. And when you do, you're going to take on greater challenges than you are. You're going to say yes to things before you are ready. Because failure is not the issue here. Because you are less terrified of failing and you are more interested in growth and movement. When you own your average, you're going to do more. You're going to get to spend the energy that you used to use on protecting yourself and worrying about what other people think to solving interesting problems and building an extraordinary life. When you own your average, you can take risks. You can take the jump whether you make the pit or not. But man, you're in the air and you're moving forward. If you feel small and 2020 feels big, the prophet says, do not despise small beginnings. Don't despise you. Recognize who you are and who God is and what God can do through you. Own your average. The second thought is, stop trying to find your passion. Now, man, that's contrary to what everybody has ever told you. You've got to find your passion. You've got to find your purpose. And I wonder if you felt that insecurity at times. You, you are the uh, jack of all trades. You're the master of none. You can get stuff done, but you, don't, you haven't found that one thing that you do and you do best um, and so you feel insecure around that. Yes, 2020, it's the year when you should have 2020 vision. If you haven't found your passion by now, you're never going to find it. And yes, the call, do not despise small beginnings. You will not find your passion and your purpose. Your passion and your purpose is not hiding behind a tree somewhere or under a rock or some door that you should open and peep through. Your passion and your purpose are not objects of desire or hidden treasures waiting to be discovered. In a sense, it's more like a blank uh, computer screen requiring 100,000 words to create a book or a story, but every book starts with one, the first word. See, a life of purpose and passion can't be found. You do not find passion and purpose. You build it. One word, one act, one small thing at a time, brick by brick. You start construction 
by being brave and curious and daring. You, you, you ask hard questions of yourself, of God, and the world in which you live. And where those three things come together, you start to build your passion and your purpose. You don't sit on a hill far away waiting for it to come. You build it. I had a passion for accounting and for figures. I had built it playing Monopoly with my family. I figured I was good at that, I should be good at this. But there came a point where I started building in a different direction. And uh, began as a youth pastor and six years of probation and training. Every year people asking, uh, do you feel called to this work? It was a building process of building and it is still busy as one builds uh, your passion. So stop trying to find it. Build it. And as you build it, you'll find a life of purpose and impact. Here at Grace, some of the building blocks, uh, broad strokes are uh, love God. Uh, and as you seek to love God and work out what that means, uh, He's going to point you to loving people. And as you seek to work out what that means, the invitation to make a difference will come. And so as we love God, love people, and make a difference, these three things, I have a sense, help us to build a life of passion. We'll be moved by different things as we seek to love people. And so knowing and loving God, uh, we begin to build what it is we will do and our unique contribution to the world. You don't find your passion, you build it. Do not despise small beginnings. You may build and discover your passion beginning with the smallest of things. And when you look back on your life, you realize how God has guided you as you've sought to serve Him, love Him, and make a difference. Don't despise small beginnings. And lastly, if we're going to own our average, stop trying to find our passion, and, and lastly, dream small. I was inspired, inspired by Liz Bohannon, who authored the book Beginner's Pluck. She says, my big dream was a vision for a corporate philanthropy initiative that involved millions of dollars and was going to improve the lives of millions of women and girls across the globe. That was her big dream. And as she reflects on it, she realizes that dream simply paralyzed her. She did nothing. There was nothing in her day-to-day -day life that intersected with her huge dream to bring about the upliftment of women trapped in poverty around the world. While she was doing some research, she stumbled on a video called The Girl Effect. And it spoke about how investing in the life of a girl, and as the father of two girls, this resonates with me. But if you lifted a girl out of poverty and entrapment, uh, that girl will change the world. And at one point in the video, there was just a screen with girl on it. And she realized that while she had a dream to uplift millions of people out of poverty, millions of girls, she didn't know one girl trapped in poverty. And so she started to dream small, very small. Her dream was now 
to get to know and befriend one girl who was trapped in poverty. She took a big step. She told her parents, I'm going to Uganda. And she had done some work researching in Uganda. And her goal was to meet and befriend and get to know one girl. Her parents said, why didn't you join a running club like your sister? Um, but she took the big step. She met three girls in Uganda. Those three girls were unable to study for lack of funds. She said to them, if you make slops for a year, I'll ensure that you have enough to study the following year. Those three girls made slops all year. And those slops were sold back in the USA. And those three girls studied. And what became of that was an international brand. <clears throat> Liz Bohannon is described like this. She's a speaker, an entrepreneur, and the founder of Seiko Designs, a socially conscious fashion brand creating educational and economic opportunities for women across the globe, recognized by Ford's, Forbes as a top public speaker and named by John Maxwell as one of the top three transformational leaders in the U.S. It began with a small dream to know one girl. She needed zero degrees, zero connections, zero fancy job titles, zero million dollar budgets, zero strategic plan, zero people to give her permission. All this meant that she had zero excuses and dreaming small, very small. Uh, the, 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 the dream to meet one girl transformed her life and now the lives of millions of girls around the globe. Dreaming small leads us from being dreamers to being doers. This Cornubia campus, for two years, Grace Family's Church has said, we need to plant a church in Cornubia. We need to go to Cornubia. We need to go over the highway. We need to go there. Um, and it was a big dream, and it seemed an impossible dream. But when I have a sense, God placed the thought in my heart that if we're ever going to go, I'm just going to need to go. So the dream got small. If we go, I will go. And we'll find staff amongst the staff we have. And we'll go. And almost as the dream hit my heart, what unfolded was what you see now in less than a year. For years we had dreamed. And then we simply did the smallest of things. And then the dream unfolded. You may dream of an impossible relationship made whole. For years you've struggled be it a family member, a friend, a colleague, but this relationship is broken. What if you dreamt small <clears throat> and became a doer? Nikki Gumbel, who heads up Alpha, says, a good apology looks like this. I'm sorry. It's my fault. How can I make it right? You may dream, oh God, fix this relationship when all it requires is from you is a small thing. I'm sorry. It's my fault. How can I make it right? Do not despise the small things. <clears throat> you may dream of a budget that balances. What if you dreamt small and became a doer 
and you spied on your money and you gave every rand a job and you simply budgeted and kept to it and lived within your means. Don't despise the small things. Who knows what God does? You may dream of a deeper relationship with God and you're waiting for some lightning bolt from somewhere to hit you. But what if you dreamt small and you became a doer and you just said, I'm going to do Sundays and small group, these two things. Uh, it's two hours of my life, but I'm going to commit to that and, and see what God does with me. I'm going to do the small things. Who knows where you land up in a year's time. You may dream of a better world. <clears throat> what if we simply dreamt small? What if we just owned our average and, and the fact that God uses average people? We don't have to be exceptional. What if we built a life of passion and purpose? What if we bravely just took the next small step, refusing to despise small beginnings, and we did the next right thing, and we joined in something bigger than ourselves? I've always been inspired by the small boys' picnic lunch. There's, there's 5,000 and more people hungry. The followers of Jesus, his disciples, say the people are hungry. And they have a dream that these people would be fed. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they say, we have nothing. We're average. <laughs> we have nothing. And Jesus says, what do you have? And they find a small boy who's willing to give up his lunch. Now, that's a big thing, really. And uh, they bring the small boy's lunch to Jesus. He breaks it. And 5,000 are fed. And there are baskets left over. What if we simply owned our average, start to build a life of passion rather than trying to find it. And we dreamt small and became doers. Who knows what God will do with us? What if we said with Dr. Martin Luther King, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Imagine. God will energize our limp hands God will strengthen our rubbery knees. God invites us to tell one another, tell fearful souls, courage, take heart. God is right here. He's on his way to put things right and redress all wrongs. He's on his way and he will save you. And it seems that God throughout the story of God and his people, he would use us, average human beings, to do extraordinary things. I wonder if you'd stand with me as we pray together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you're out ahead of us in this year of 2020. Whatever uh, rages in our hearts, whatever anxiety or fear is there, uh, whatever courage we have, I ask that you will stir up in us a deep, deep faith. <laughs> that simply acknowledges, Lord, that we don't have to be extraordinary and above average, but rather, God, that you would use us as we are, meet us where we are, stir our hearts uh, to act um, and, to, and, and to build a life of passion and impact, and that in the smallest of things, you can do great things. So, Spirit of God, Simply breathe upon us and breathe into us. And as we leave this place this morning, may we have a sense that you are right here with us. And that even 
as we just do small things well, you will entrust us with great things. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.